It's now time for Talkin' Boxing with Billy C. It began as a podcast, went live on the net, and transformed into a full-blown empire. It's the only daily boxing talk show on the planet, hosted by the only guy with the balls to do it. Many have stepped into the ring. Many have tried to take the belt. And one by one, they've fallen. Another victim of the undisputed heavyweight champion of Boxing Talk Radio. Talking Boxing with Billy C is on now. My style is impetuous, my defense is impregnable, and I'm just ferocious, I want your heart. Coming to you live from the Billy C. Studios in Lake George, New York. I'm Bill Calajar, it's time for the Billy C. Show. Good morning, good day, good evening. Whenever you're listening, I hope you're doing all right today. Today's show is being brought to us in part by Sal's Neighborhood Pizzeria and Italian Restaurant located on St. Simon's Island in Georgia. Check out the website, www.salsneighborhoodpizzeria.com. Or give my man a call, 912 268 Two three two eight nine one two two six eight two three two eight. Find out why I go all the way to St. Simon's to get an authentic Italian meal. Today's show is also being brought to us in part by Fight TV and all the great fights you can watch on Fight TV. Just Fight TV just got better because you can watch them right on the front page of BillyCBoxing.com. Check out our embedded player for Fight TV. And by the way. Uh, while you're there, download the free Billy C app. You can watch or listen to the show wherever you go. Just visit BillyCBoxing.com. And finally, today's show is being brought to us in part by my book, Tom Moliner, From Bondage to Baddest Man on the Planet, is available right now where all good books are sold. And you can get a copy of it right now while you're watching or listening to this show. Just visit BarnesandNoble.com or Amazon.com. It's a great Christmas gift as the holidays are, uh, you know, quickly arriving here. Uh, so if you're uh, looking to get a signed copy, visit the website, BillyCBoxing.com. Or if you're looking to get more than one, just drop me an email, Billy at Talkin Boxing, T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G.com. And I can uh, take care of you directly. Um, listen, this past weekend, uh, we watched... Uh, uh, a great fight. It was a great fight on HBO. Uh, Miguel Cotto, billed as his final fight, um, came up short. Saddam Ali surprised everybody, especially myself, in uh, putting on uh, a, uh, a very uh, impressive uh, performance. Uh, Saddam Ali improved to 27 wins, one loss with 14 knockouts. When he won a unanimous decision over Miguel Cotto, who drops to 41-6 and six with 33 knockouts, the way the judges scored it, I thought they got it right pretty much. 115-113 twice, 116-112. Um, my initial thoughts, typical Miguel Cotto. You know, I, listen, I cannot find fault in Miguel Cotto for losing this fight. I can't. I, you know, what I see in Miguel Cotto, uh, in retrospect, you know, assuming this is his last fight or was his last fight, Miguel Cotto 
did what Miguel Cotto does. Miguel Cotto was in the more uh, entertaining fights throughout his career, never ducked anyone, and uh, always brought his best. And when he came up on the short end, he always gave credit to his opponent, just like he did on Saturday night. And uh, the one thing that rings in my ears very strongly and loudly is the fact that Miguel Cotto went out on his shield performing at the best he could against a young gun fighter. Now, did I think that uh, Saddam Ali had a chance? No, I didn't. He was moving up in weight, and Miguel Cotto's experience in punching power, etc., etc., I thought was going to uh, carry him throughout the night. But credit what credit's due to both fighters, Saddam Ali for winning and uh, listening to his corner and doing what he had to do, and, of course, Miguel Cotto for not only trying his hardest throughout the 12 rounds, but challenging himself, challenging himself against a young, once-beaten fighter almost 10 years younger than him. That's what true champions do. That's what true Hall of Famers do. This BS about cherry picking and picking easy fights to pad your record is complete bullshit. And you know that I'm talking about Floyd Mayweather. Miguel Cotto and Floyd Mayweather don't even stand in the same room in terms of respect from me. Miguel Cotto gets more respect for the way he fights. Joining me right now, uh, from St. Simon's Island. We'll get your thoughts on it, Sal. Uh, Sal, Rocky, Senecola. Sal, what was your thoughts on the fight? I can't argue with anything you've said. I'll tell you what. As I always say, any given night. It surprised me, too. Uh, you know, Saddam Ali rose to the occasion. You know, we were talking even during his press conference and everything else that he was quiet, he was humble. He didn't sound like he was touting too much of what he was going to do. And I thought, you know, you got to be careful because I think he was going to maybe rise to the occasion, come in here and say, hey, I'm going to surprise the world. And wouldn't you know it, that's exactly what he did because on paper, this should have been a real good swan dance and a little last, uh, last fight. And, and Miguel Cotto, um, he looked at several opponents and this um, Ali, he chose. And not that he was an easy out in any way, shape or form. He was never going to be an easy out, but. Yeah, on paper, he was calculated that this is the guy that he's going to look good against and that he can beat. And he fought his heart out, Miguel Cotto, and so did Saddam Ali. And as I always say, Billy C., any given night, you never know what can happen and what's in one's heart. And they both fought a fight to win. And uh, I give him credit to both of these warriors. It was great. Well, I give uh, a lot of credit to Miguel. I, 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 can't, I can't disagree with you. Both fighters obviously get credit. Uh, Saddam Ali uh, uh, bucking the odds um, but uh, but my point about Miguel Cotto is something that's going to help him along the way now that his career assumably, uh, presumably is over um, you know when you look at Miguel Cotto's career from start to finish this is a guy and, and let's be real Miguel Cotto did not exactly possess all the skills that you would you would expect from a fighter with his success. His level of success came from heart, determination, and relentless attack, and that's exactly what he did on uh, exactly. on Saturday night. He kept moving forward. Uh, he kept throwing punches. You know, he didn't dazzle anybody with anything, really. No. Um, but uh, Saddam Ali kind of did. You know, uh, he he kept true to his game plan. 
He moved when he had to move. Both fighters seemed to get hurt in this fight. Uh, I did think that Saddam Ali had Cotto hurt a couple of times and did not go in for the kill for whatever reason. His corner kept telling him that. His father yelling from the third row kept telling him that. Uh, but the bottom line was it was good to see the judges get it right. Um, so too often do we see uh, judges go with the, uh, with the favorites, so to speak. Uh, some of those scores uh, could have been the other way. Those rounds did seem close at times. But at the end of the day, Saddam Ali won the fight. And um, at the end of the fight, Miguel Cotto said, and I quote, I, I, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good with the performance I did. Uh, something happened to my left bicep in the seventh round. I don't want to make excuses. Saddam Ali won the fight. It is my last fight. I'm good, and I want to be happy in my home with my family. Thank you for all the fans. I'm proud to call Madison Square Garden my second home. I had the opportunity to provide uh, the best for my family because of this sport. Um, it certainly sounds like this was the last fight, and it certainly looked to me like he aged uh, um, overnight in, in his last fight. I'm sure he did not want to end his career with an L. But you know what, Sal? The performance like that against a young gun. Now, granted, I'm not putting Saddam Ali as a pound-for-pound -pound top fighter because he's certainly no. not. Uh, but he's, he's right now, he's in a great position. I can't emphasize enough of how much respect I have for Miguel Cotto for challenging himself in this fight. And even though it looked on paper that, you know, he should have had an easy go at it, at least in my eyes, um, you know, because Saddam Ali had moved up in weight, etc. Kodo's still a smaller guy, and Kodo still fought a guy almost 10 years younger than him. That has to have some value. At least it does in my book. What about you, Sal? Well, of course it does. Uh, you know, Miguel Cotto, as you said, he's a warrior from the old school, challenges himself. And uh, he knew the risks going in the ring with a younger guy like this. And uh, I'll tell you, it was just a good performance, solid by both guys. I do appreciate how uh, Saddam Ali, I mean, literally, he listened to his corner. His corner said, you know, I, it reminded me of the old days when uh, uh, Angelo Dundee told uh, Sugar Ray Leonard, you're blowing it, babe. Go out there. You want this fight. You better do it now. And uh, that's not exactly what he said verbatim, but you know what I mean. And uh, he got the same uh, he got the same kind of pep talk in the later rounds from uh, his trainer, and he did what he wanted to do. He wanted to win. He wanted to fight. And he went down there, and I'll tell you what, Miguel Cotto he fights his heart out. He he didn't do anything bad. He fought the way he always fights, as you said, and it just came up a little short. There were a lot of rounds that I also scored with a question mark iffy here and there, and I even gave one one round a draw. I mean, I couldn't decide, but. I gave a score, I think it was uh, uh, 116 to 114, and uh, it was it was a close fight, but there were some close rounds. I don't know if there's going to be less time we see Miguel Cotto. Cotto. After the dust clears, you know, it, it's hard to leave a ring after a stellar career like that with a loss. And I don't know if there's a rematch clause, because this was supposed to be his last fight, but if there was a rematch clause, I think he, he may exercise that. We'll see. Why? Uh, I say why. I say why, because he's got nothing left to prove. See, here's no. the difference. Here's the difference, in my opinion, all right? Go ahead, tell me. And I hope that, I hope that uh, a I hope lot of right. young, I hope a lot of young fighters, uh, I'm sorry, I hope a, yada, a lot of young fans recognize the difference and, and the comparison I'm going to make. 
Floyd Mayweather, and I hate to bring him up because as far as I'm concerned, the sport of boxing is way better without him, all right? But but Floyd Mayweather was extremely successful in marketing the, the uh, Money Mayweather brand and getting uh, his fans to drink the Kool-Aid and et cetera, et cetera. And if you take a look at his last handful of fights, uh, removing the Manny Pacquiao fight because the Manny Pacquiao fight had to be a fight that took place. Yes, it took place too late, but it took place nonetheless. So I give him credit for that. But then he fights um, Andre Berto. Andre Berto is no young gun. He's not an up-and-coming fighter. This was a guy that was marked as spent. And then he finishes his career, supposedly, uh, against a pro debut. And he's pounding his chest undefeated. I hear people say, oh, you can't touch him. You can't. Yeah, because he runs. Miguel Cotto, Miguel Cotto has been a warrior throughout his whole career. They were showing you little snippets of his career throughout the broadcast. And you know what? It was interesting to, to remember, you know, how much, I mean, for the last decade, this guy's been challenging himself and giving it his all. To me, in the big picture, long term, Hall of Fame, because let's face it, uh, Miguel Cotto and Floyd Mayweather are both first ballot Hall of Famers. Uh, Miguel Cotto is going to be remembered more. People are going to remember his fights oh, yeah. more than <laughs> Floyd. And the truth That's of funny. the matter is, is fans remember excitement. Miguel Cotto's fights are exciting. Floyd Mayweather's are not. There is not one fight, at least in the last 10 years, that you could say was exciting that Floyd Mayweather participated in. Uh, you know, when you look at these two guys who, who in a sense, uh, you know, were kind of parallel throughout their careers time-wise and everything else, you know what? Miguel Cotto deserves a lot of credit, Sal. And not that I'm comparing him with Floyd in terms of uh, talent because I think Floyd clearly had uh, and still has the better, uh, you know, uh, talent the, uh, than, than Cotto. But you can't argue the heart and determination of Miguel Cotto, and he's proved it time and time again. Listen, any time a fighter loses, it's bad in their mind, but to go out like this on your feet, fighting the way you always fought, he goes out a winner in my book, even though the record indicates a loss. Well, that's well put, Billy. I think uh, he is a winner. I mean, come on, let's see it. He's gotten uh, so many, so many memorable fights that he gave all of our, our uh, all of his fans. And, you know, uh, even the times where he's picked himself up off the canvas and he's come back and he he's won either by knockout or, or just by overwhelming his opponents with his aggressive uh, style of fighting. And uh, I mean, no, these are memorable fights and these are. These are fights that, as you said, are going to be etched in everyone's mind and and in his record, and uh, it's going to show. And and as I said, he he never never left anything uh, uh, not in the ring. He spent it all, and he fought his heart out every time. He got one hundred percent from Miguel Cotto with his desire and his passion to carry him forward to victory. That's it. Saddam Ali, after the fight, said, uh, I worked hard for this. I took advantage of this fight, and I made, I, I made sure to make it uh, count. Uh, I want to thank God and also thank uh, Team Koto. Uh, they could have taken an easier fight if they wanted to. I had him hurt there a couple of times. Uh, I knew I had to do something, or he would have dug in. By the 11th round, I thought the fight was close, 
Whatever Golden Boy has next, I'll take it. Good things happen to good people. I've been training since I'm eight years old, and I'm glad I got this win at Madison Square Garden in my hometown. One thing I strongly disagree with you about, Sal, is that I don't think Saddam Ali was listening to his corner um, until the end. You know, until the kept, end. That's they what kept I mean. pleading I mean, with the him. When, they kept when he pleading was told, with hey, him uh, to uh, continue throwing punches. They pleaded with him to, uh, you know, uh, not let uh, Cotto get off the hook. Um, and uh, finally, he he came he came in and did what he had to do. I I just thought that uh, Saddam Ali should he have followed the instruction earlier. Um, maybe this fight would have ended in a different way, uh, better for Saddam Ali. I think maybe it had to do with the respect factor. Do you think that um, Saddam Ali was was being too respectful uh, in the ring with Cotto? And, and it's something I've said about opponents that face Floyd Mayweather. You know, here you are, uh, you face Floyd, and, and you're making a payday that's life-changing. You know, how do you beat the snot out of the guy that just made it happen? In Saddam Ali's case, I don't know uh, how much he made for this fight officially, but it was an opportunity for him. Now the doors are wide open. I mean, human nature, you got to respect the guy in front of you. Do you think that had anything to do with it? I, I don't think you're respecting the legend or what it is that, that he is the guy that invited you to this dance and you're going to uh, propel yourself up here. I don't think it was that type of respect. I think it was the respect that, hey, this guy is always dangerous and I'm going to be methodical and might try to disarm him and try to break him down and try to hit him and catch him. I'm not going to rush in. I think it was more of that respect because I think that uh, Saddam Ali did show at times he did have Miguel Cotto hurt. He didn't rush in to do a finish or do something here and there because he knew Why? that Miguel Cotto is always dangerous. You know, as long as he's on his feet, this guy is always in the fight. And uh, I think he he fought the fight, no matter how you want to dice it, uh, he did what he had to do to win. And a fighter knows when he's in the middle of a fight, he can feel the ebb and flow. He can tell. I'm sure Saddam Ali felt that he was turning the tide in the middle rounds. I'm sure he felt that he was gaining the advantage in the later rounds. And when you have that uh, confidence, you don't take it for granted because you know a fight can change in any moment. And uh, I think he did what he had to do. And I think the last, last couple of round pep talk that, hey, you got to go out there. You want this fight? It's close. You got to go out there and show us you want this fight and throw those punches. I think that helped him carry him over the top. Well, I mean, I th agree, but I I also think that there was a a, a level of uh, respect. There was, and, and I, I and I, you know, we all saw that Cotto was was rocked in this fight, yes. and um, he did not move in. Saddam Ali did not move in. Now you you seem to allude to the fact that you thought it was more cautiousness. Uh, than, than respect, it was definitely something. And, um, I, you know, when his corner's telling him, move in, you got this guy hurt, his father's going, you can hurt this guy, you can you can do it, you know, um, cause, you know yelling at him that we all heard. But um, I, I, I can't help but think that he's saying to himself, geez, I'm in here with a future Hall of Famer, Miguel Cotto. Uh, I, I think it's human nature, I really do. Um, to uh, to show uh, to show respect, maybe maybe at a fault, you know. Um, I, I'm trying to look at it both ways. I, I know you look at it kind of through your own mind. If you were in that position, yes, how right. do you do it? You know, and uh, uh, the truth of the matter is, is you know you have to you have to look. In my opinion, you have to look at it 
you know, objectively how these two people would think, not the way you would think. I'm with you. Like, if I had that opportunity, I, I, would, I would try to go in for the kill. I wouldn't have that super respect until after the fight. But I, I just, you know, I've never been in a position where I'm, I'm making that much money. Hold that thought. We're going to take a short break. Um, we got some other fights that were on that card. Don't go anywhere. Billy C. We'll be right back. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're listening and watching the Billy C. Show. Don't forget it. The holidays are upon us. And you want to get uh, everybody on your Christmas list a copy of my book, Tom Molino, From Bondage to Baddest Man on the Planet. You can get a copy of it right now. In case you haven't seen it, here it is. Uh, you can uh, visit our website. You can go to barnesandnoble.com. You can go to amazon.com. All I know is the fat guy in the red suit wants you to give out my book. So uh, get yourself a bunch of copies. Um, you know, Sal, I, I think that the turning point in this fight at least in my opinion, was, you know, let me start off a different way. Most fighters, when they get hurt, they shake their head and say, no, I didn't get hurt. I didn't get hurt. And we all know that they got hurt. Um, In this fight, it seemed, uh, I can't remember which round, maybe the eighth, maybe the eighth or or ninth round, um, Cotto landed a shot that rocked Saddam Ali. And Saddam Ali went against the ropes and he looked at Kodo and he nodded his head, yes, it got me, it got me. And then from that point on, I saw a different Saddam Ali throughout the rest of the fight. He seemed to say to himself, I'm in a fight, I just took a shot, let's go to war. And that's what I thought happened. I thought that was the turning point in the fight for Saddam Ali. What's your thoughts? You know what? That's a very good point, Bill, because, uh, you know, that sometimes it does take a moment just like that. You know, you get caught. You know you took one of the best shots you're going to take, and bam. And now, then you realize, hey, that woke me up. I got to turn it on because I don't want to get hit like that again because uh, I might be picking myself up off the mat. Uh, it could very well have been. You know, you, you, you're in the fight. It's a long fight. You have different things and motiva- motivations, and and uh, it just takes a snap like that to make a make something change your mind to turn it on, and if that very well could have been something that he tapped into. I, I'd be curious to see if that was something in one of the interviews that he does reveal. Yeah, I I, I mean me, you know, obviously I wasn't ringside; I was watching it um, from uh, from home. But I, to me, I thought that uh, that that was the turning point, at least by performance wise. That's what I saw, um, but uh, but I, I I thought Saddam Ali uh, did a great job. He deserves the credit, and now you know uh, to have a name like Miguel Cotto on your resume. Not only that, but picking up the uh, WBO uh, junior middleweight title uh, for a guy that really is known as a welterweight, and he looked pretty big and strong. He looked uh, big. So uh, you know what? Uh, congratulations to Sam Saddam Ali. I hope that his career continues moving upward. Uh, I, one thing I did notice, 
I'm not a big fan of his main trainer, Andre Rozier. And normally the corner is very subdued and quiet. You know, the, my, one of my hangups with Rozier is that he thinks he's a Zen master, you know. Uh, uh, but he was very animated in this fight. You know, he, he was, you know, I could see the anger in his eyes. Uh, and, um, I, you know, I wonder if that had something to do with it. So I, I kind of want to give Andre Rozier credit for mixing up his normal monotone ap- approach and firing up his, his fighter. The only th- other thing I noticed in the corner was that uh, it seemed a little chaotic. Uh, they, uh, there was more than one voice yelling and, and talking to Saddam Ali, and then you add the father from, uh, from ringside. Uh, you know, I-, I wonder how distracting that was for Ali, but he put it all behind him and, and put together to win. When you take a look at Miguel Cotto's corner, you know, typical Miguel Cotto's corner, um, Freddie Roach, I just don't know how much instruction Freddie Roach really gives to his fighters. I mean, yeah. uh, Miguel Cotto is a guy that is an aggressive fighter right up Freddie Roach's uh, alley. But uh, but really, Freddie Roach didn't do anything. I mean, is this from a guy, Sal, that just feels that, you know, Cotto is Cotto and you can't teach him new tricks? I mean, shouldn't he have been trying to not so much motivate him with rah-rah speech, but try to give him some technical instruction. You know, uh, you know, try to cut the ring off better. Uh, try to go in there protecting yourself. He's trying to catch you. Uh, Saddam Ali was trying to time him and, and counterpunch him. Uh, I didn't see Miguel Cotto do anything to, to prevent that from happening. I mean, there was no instruction from Freddie Roach, in my opinion. No, and there was not. You were right. I, you know, he could have said, hey, I want you to go out there. I want you to pump that jab. Faint it. Let him, let him exchange. Let him commit to countering you, and then you counter him. I mean, there could have been a lot that could have been said and done. And, and yeah, a little rah-rah, a little pep up, but that's not the style that Freddie Roach brings to the table. Um, you know, he, he does know. He's more methodical. He breaks it down. He's analytical. But, you know, sometimes a fighter, a fighter needs a little fire in his corner, and uh, it, it helps. I mean, and, and bottom line is, a fighter has to have confidence in his trainer. You know, you, you, you know it's you in the ring. It's you. But when, when, when a fighter, you listen to most fighters when they're interviewed. Oh, we're going to hear. We're going to do this. We did this. We did it. They always have a we because they feel very much in tune with their trainer. Uh, it's, it's, it's just a natural progression of, of commitment, a natural progression of trust. And uh, so you feel like you do have a little bit of a, uh, a, a guy that's looking out for you in the corner. And uh, you're not going to get the animated, of course, uh, uh, instructions that's going to have a, a level of uh, urgency uh, coming from uh, uh, um, Freddie Roach. And uh, I think that that could have maybe helped uh, Miguel Cotto. We don't know. But bottom line is Miguel Cotto has confidence in his corner, in confidence in Freddie Roach. And uh, so Freddie Roach was just Freddie Roach. That's it. And, you know, you're not going to get something out of uh, out of what you think you can from Freddie other than what Freddie does deliver. That's it. Uh, I do give um, Rozier a lot of credit, and I think that did did help uh, uh, Ali come over the top and, and, and turn it on. And uh, I think he was more animated. I think he did express the urgency. I think he did let him know, hey, this fight's online. Do you want to win or not? And I think it does help. So, you know. Two different styles, two different trainers. I I like when fighters say we because they make and try to give credit yeah. for the team. You know, I, I mean, a lot of times a fighter's preparing for a fight and he's got other guys running with him. He's got other guys sparring with him. They're putting in work, too. 
so I could see team, and I like it. I I I I agree. I I think that it's important. What I don't like is when you hear we we we, and then the fighter loses, and the trainer's got the mic in front of him, and he says he he didn't do this. <laughs> yeah, he, he didn't, didn't do, do this. that. <laughs> you know, uh, when they win, it's we won. We trained hard. We did this. We did that. And then when they lose, it's like well, he didn't listen. He, he didn't do listen it. to me. You know, so so I you know. That's the only problem with that I have, but uh, but I I thought that you know this was Kodos. It was supposed to be his farewell party. Um, you know he didn't get anything from Freddie Roach. Uh, whether no. he was looking to get anything from Freddie or not, he didn't. Uh, Saddam Ali, in my opinion, wasn't listening too well to his to his corner um, until until that punch. Uh, you know uh, when 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 he when Kodo landed that shot on Saddam Ali. And he smiled and said, yeah, you got me. Because it knocked him right back into the ropes. Um, to me, that was the turning point in the fight. And, and one other thing I wanted to add about that fight. I was sick to my stomach listening to the commentating on that fight. Oh, uh, there oh, was There, yes, there, was, there was a punch. Go. There was a punch uh, in that fight that uh, Sanam Ali threw and missed Kodo by a mile. All right, yes. and and he fell down. And what does yes. Jim Lampley goes? Go down, goes Ali. Oh, 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 oh. And I'm like, dude, he didn't even hit him, you know. And he's go. And then the next day, and then uh, uh, Max says, I think he stepped on his foot, Jim. And and Roy Jones, who I'm so sick of, says, I don't think he even hit him with that punch, you know. And and then they showed a re replay, and of course he didn't even come close. And even yeah. even after watching the replay, Harold Letterman still thought that the punch landed, and Max was like, well, we got to see the replay. It didn't you know, and I'm saying to myself, oh, God, is this going to be a biased uh, uh, commentary? Because it was. It they was. weren't even giving Saddam Ali credit. And as a matter of fact, if you were listening to the commentary, you might have thought that Miguel Cotto won that fight. You might have thought that those scores were going to all be for Cotto uh, with the exception towards the end when Harold Letterman started scoring those rounds for Saddam Ali, his scorecard started uh, taking shape. But it seemed like the commentators were reluctant to give Saddam Ali any credit. Did you see that? Oh, come on. 100% from the get-go. And, you know, I, I, I made notes here because you were 100% right. I got so tired of listening to Lampley and, and, and Kellerman. And, and I got to give... Jones credit because he reels it in. He talks to reality. In fact, I got to make a statement. His days may be numbered there because he always calls these guys out. These guys want to go out on a tangent and want to go out. Well, it's going to be this. Is that? Is that? And Roy says, hey, that's not what I saw. This is really what happened. This is the way he does. He gives a fighter's perspective and he reels it back into reality. These guys want to create the fantasy or create whatever it is, smoke and mirrors. But Roy levels the playing field and says, no, this is what's going on. This is what's happening. This is, what, this is the reality of the situation. This is what that fighter's thinking. And I got to give Roy Jones credit for that. And he does. And I and I empathize and I see what he's doing. But he's always correcting him. So I, I don't know if the big wigs or the suits are going to like that too much longer. They're going to have a talk with Roy or they're going to – because these guys look like fools at times. They really do. So does Roy, though. You know, I, I mean, listen, Roy was on, on that thing, on, on that particular strike, you know, that miss, that, that miss by a mile. 
Um, you know, at least from the camera angle, I, I saw it very clearly the first time. I did not have to see the replay to see that it didn't even land. Uh, but, but you know, I mean, yeah, uh, Lennox Lewis and George Foreman both lost their jobs for disagreeing. Uh, but uh, but for some reason, uh, uh, Roy uh, Roy agrees enough. R- Roy Roy, I don't like. Listen, I don't like the the, the group. I, I think that boxing needs a whole new set of commentators. Uh, Showtime is the worst. I mean, Mario Ronaldo uh, is the worst commentator I've ever heard in my life. Uh, Jim Lampley has lost the ability to call a fight um, without punch stats. And, you know, Max, I still believe Max's wings have been clipped. He's not allowed to say what he wants. And Roy no. is there just to, to to jack it up a little bit. And, and my hang-up with Roy, and i got to take a break, but my hang-up with Roy is it's always about Roy. No matter what, it gets back to Roy. We'll be back in two. Billy C will be right back. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C Show. Glad you could be with us. Coming up in about a half hour, we got Dax Khan scheduled to join us with his thoughts on uh, Miguel Cotto's uh, final fight uh, and uh, Sanam Ali's victory to capture the WBO Junior Middleweight title over Miguel Cotto. In case you're just joining joining us and missed the news, uh, Saddam Ali won a unanimous decision over Miguel Cotto to improve to 27 and one with 14 knockouts uh, at Madison Square Garden Saturday night. It was broadcast on HBO. The judges saw it 115-113 twice and 116-112. Miguel Cotto, Hall of Famer, no doubt, first ballot Hall of Famer, no doubt. He's uh, record now 41-6 and six with 33 knockouts. Claims this was his last fight. I believe it was. Uh, on the undercard uh, in the super bantamweight division. Now, you know, you could also uh, say uh, uh, super uh, junior featherweight or whatever. I, 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 I thought it was... Uh, uh, I, I thought it was junior uh, bantamweight. I, Ray Vargas... Um, the WBC champion improved to 31 and over 22 knockouts when he won a unanimous decision over Oscar Negrete. And um, I, these guys were 122 pounds. Um, Ray Vargas is tall. I don't know how he weighs 122 pounds. My leg weighs 122 pounds. But uh, Negrete uh, drops his 17 and 1 with seven knockouts, 119, 108 twice, 120, 108. Um, I agree with the, uh, those scores. It was a one sided fight. Uh, Ray Vargas's height and reach and boxing ability was too much for his opponent, but a couple of nasty cuts over his eye. I'm surprised they didn't stop it. Um, you know, unintentional headbutts caused the cut, Sal, but they were pretty nasty, and the blood was flowing into the eyes of uh, Ray Vargas. Did you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, I, I'll tell you, Bill. I I I was. Uh... I was glad they didn't stop it. I mean, uh, you know, who was it that made this this uh, comment? It might have also been uh, uh, Jones. You know, this is the sport of boxing. This is what happens. You get hurt, 
and and this is what a warrior does. He he bites the bullet and he tries to go on and get the job done no matter what he's dealt in the cards. Um, and you know they patched him up. I think they controlled the blood flow as best they could. Uh, you know, I know what that feeling's like, and I know the you know you see blood. You know, there's the urgency. Hey, I got to end this fight because they're going to stop it. Um, but if not, you know, you just go round and round, and you hope for the best, and you protect your, your, yourself where you can. But hey, you get no pockets. You fire the guns. You do what you got to do to win, and keep in a fight. And he did just that. So I give uh, Vargas a lot of credit. Uh, I don't think he let those cuts bother him as much. Um, and uh, I'll tell you what, uh, Negrete, he's a, a gamer. He's got some determination. He's got heart, but he does not have the ability or skill to propel him or to punch behind the pocket. So uh, I think uh, I think it was, a, it was a one-sided fight, as you said. I had a 120-108. Uh, also on the undercard, uh, um, in the junior flyweight, Division uh, Angel Acosta improved to seventeen and one with seventeen knockouts uh, when he took care of uh, uh, Juan Alejo, who drops to twenty-five, five and one with fifteen knockouts. The tenth round, uh, the referee called a stop to the action at one minute and thirty-three seconds uh, to give uh, uh, Acosta the TKO win. Also on the undercard, Ronan Rios uh, won a ten-round decision. Uh, against uh, Delvis Julio uh, to improve uh, to uh, 29 and two with 13 knockouts, uh, 97, 93, 99, 91, 100 to 90 were the way the three judges scored that one, and Julio drops to 19 and four. And uh, Zachary Ochoa uh, took care of uh, in a welterweight took care of uh, Eric Martinez uh, in a six-round fight, 60 to 54, the way that all three judges scored it. Uh, Ochoa is 18 and one now. Martinez, 14 and 10. So uh, those are the fights that were on uh, the undercard. Um, some other fights uh, I wanted to uh, mention real quick. Um, in uh, Canada, there was the heavyweight, uh, the Canadian heavyweight uh, fight, and uh, the Canadian champion Dillian Carmen, or I'm sorry, Dylan Carmen. Uh, was uh, stopped uh, by uh, Maladen Mahash uh, in that one. So there's a new Canadian champion. Um, Saul Canelo Alvarez's brother, Ramon Alvarez, improved to 25-6-3 when he won a 10-round decision over Johnny Navarrete, uh, who drops to 34-11. and And heavyweight, now mark my words, this guy's going to be fighting Tyson Fury. David Price, one-time top contender, uh, he improved to 22-4 and four, uh, when he won a six-round decision over Kamel Sokolowski, uh, who drops to 4-12. and 12. Uh, So mark my words, that's going to be an opponent for Tyson Fury when he makes his comeback to prepare for AJ. Uh, some uh, emails to read. Uh, first and foremost, uh, in the scoreboard, uh, NFL scoreboard, Vikings topped the Falcons 14-9. The Patriots beat up on the Bills 23-3. The 49ers pick up their second win, 15-14 over the Bears. Uh, the Packers beat the Buccaneers 26-20 in overtime. The Titans came from behind to beat the Texans 24-13. The Dolphins had no problem with the Broncos 35-9 in that one. The J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets uh, won a, a fairly exciting game over the Chiefs 38-31. 
I hope this doesn't uh, mean that uh, the Jets are going to keep that bum coach they have and that uh, flash in the pan uh, 97-year-old quarterback. Uh, the Jaguars beat the Colts 30-10. to The Ravens beat the Lions 44-20. to The Ravens, uh, are they the comeback team of the NFL? They, they certainly look like it, and the Lions seem to be faltering now. Uh, when uh, when they had a lot of high hopes at the beginning of the season, the Chargers topped the Browns nineteen to ten. The Raiders beat the hapless Giants twenty four to fourteen. The Saints over the Panthers thirty one twenty one. The Rams continue their winning ways thirty two to sixteen victory over the Cardinals. And the Seahawks beat the Eagles, arguably the best team in in football. The Eagles twenty four to ten. But then wow. again, they played uh, in uh, in the Seahawks were home in that one. In the NBA, the Magic beat the Knicks 105-100. The Warriors beat the Heat 123-95. The Timberwolves beat the Clippers 112-106. The Thunder beat the Spurs 90-87. The Rockets over the Lakers 118-95. In the NHL, the Kings over the Blackhawks 3-1. The Jets beat the Senators 5-0. The Stars over the Avalanche 7-2. And the Golden Knights of Vegas beat the Coyotes 3-2 in overtime. Um, Some uh, emails. Uh, concerning the fights from this weekend first and foremost my man jeff from uh, bethlehem pennsylvania says hey billy see i'm watching uh vargas and negretti and to be honest vargas is a serial complainer uh the ref is absolutely listening to him but negretti is trying his best to work inside i absolutely hate it when a ref listens to a fighter's complaints if he is if uh, issues are uh, arising he should be calling him on his own not reacting to the complaints uh, Vargas uh, winning clearly, but he certainly has the physical advantage. I give Negret uh, credit for making this a fight. Vargas finished strong, made some needed, needed adjustments uh, to stay on the outside. Sal, I agree with uh, Jeff here. I, I don't like when a referee is, um, is kind of convinced by a fighter to make a call. I, I believe that the referees need to be in control of the fight a hundred percent. What do you think? Well, of course, the referee—that's his job. It's, it's like in my restaurant. If if we seat, seat a couple or people down at a table, and my hostesses or or servers, you know, say, "Hey, this is where we're going to sit you. This is strategically in our dining room. What's going to happen?" And then they get up and move on themselves, or say, "Hey, we could do this and do that." You know, it, it disrupts the whole thing, uh, and. That's a not a really good analogy, but the bottom line is the same thing. You know, when a, when a fighter is in a fight, he could bring it to the referee's attention. Sure, I don't mind that. If, if I'm getting held or if my hand's constantly behind my head or if this guy's using his, his head for a weapon and trying to bust me open or something, I'm going to make it one point maybe to say, hey, ref, keep an eye on that. But I'm not going to lure the guy in and say, hey, I want you to say something here. The referee has the objective view and he's looking at the fight at all times. And if he is a professional, if he is true to what he's supposed to be doing as his job, he will call it out as he sees it. And he will make the adjustments. He'll make the notes. You don't have to convince him and sell him on it. And I, I know some fighters think they do. Um, and sometimes the referees do uh, listen. Or maybe it's just the natural path of what they do to snap the trigger. I don't know. I think that the, the fighter should never... Tell a referee, keep an yeah. eye on it, do this, do that. I don't think the I think the fighter should be in there to fight. The referee's in there to referee. My opinion, uh, the fighter should not be complaining to the referee yeah. for anything. If anybody's going to complain, uh, it should be the corner 
of that fighter yes. in between rounds. Hey, ref, keep an eye. He's holding. Hey, ref, do this, do that. Um, during a fight, I agree 100% with Jeff here. Uh, the fighter has to stop complaining. And if a fighter starts saying, hey, he's holding me by the head, that that's wrong. I, I, I disagree with that. They should not do that. Uh, he says, Cotto no. versus Ali. Early scare, but Cotto really is a pleasure to watch, keeping the pressure on. Uh, it was no gimme fight. Uh, you know, Miguel Cotto wanted to go out and, uh, in a real fight. Uh, Ali uh, uh, early, but Cotto uh, beginning to come on in the end, uh, keeping the pressure on the young man. The tables uh, changed back, uh, and then uh, Ali uh, was was the winner. Young man uh, had the more energy. He says, when I was young, I would look through the records of old-time fighters, sometimes noticing the losses more than the wins. I've learned something now. I get Mayweather's concern for his unbeaten record. When it's read about, it'll be impressive. But when we really take a look, how much more impressive was it for Sugar Ray Robinson to face Jake LaMotta so many times or Muhammad Ali to fight Kenny Norton three times? Cotto ends his career on a loss, but he fought, he fought a young, live opponent. I believe he can live with that. A great fighter, a great career. Um, thanks for the email, Jeffrey. And, and I agree with that analogy 100%. And I hope that the powers that be, uh, specifically fans, later on uh, recognize that uh, a guy like Floyd Mayweather, who, who did choose the easiest path, um, puts that in perspective when they um, you know, list their all-time greats. I, it's a tough one with Floyd because he did possess the skill but like I always say, you know, if you're showing skill uh, against mediocre opposition, how much skill do you really have? You know, I've always respected the fighters that uh, want to continue to prove they're the best and seek out the best throughout their career. Sugar Ray Robinson was pointed out here by Jeffrey, but even more recent, Sugar Ray Leonard is the quickest example I could always say. You know, he comes out of retirement and what does he do? He goes after the top dog in a division he didn't even fight in and ends up getting a, the W, even though I disagree with that uh, win. But uh, uh, that's what great fighters do. They do great things. They accomplish great things. Miguel Cotto attempted to do that, came up short. Uh, nothing to uh, be ashamed of. Um, this next one's from Raheem. Good morning, Billy and Sal. It's me, Raheem. Uh, this Good weekend morning. was great for boxing. Cotto's a warrior. Uh, and even though he lost, he put a good 12-round fight. And now we have a young and up-and-coming uh, fighter with Ali, who is the new champion. I was happy for Ali, and I think he has the potential to be one of the best. I think boxing will benefit with having Ali, and I can't wait to see his, knee, uh, his next fight. I think we need more young fighters like him because there's a void now that Floyd retired. Uh, boxing will not be the same. Uh, it won't be. It'll be better. I think the best thing that's happened to the sport of boxing is that Floyd Mayweather has retired. I hope he never comes back. He was a terrible thing for boxing. Set a precedent that all these fighters wanted to copy, and we ended up in a dull uh, era while Floyd was cherry-picking opponents and making the most money he could for the least amount of risk. Raheem, you haven't a clue about Floyd Mayweather and what he really pulled, but I'm glad to see that you're supportive of Saddam Ali because boxing is a whole lot better without a guy like Floyd Mayweather. That's my opinion, and I've said it many times before, and I stick to it. 
He says, I would like to know your thoughts on Ali and if he should move up to fight Canelo and others in Canelo's weight class. No, first of all, I respect Ali and I hope nothing but the best for him. But why should he move up? I can't stand these young fans today, Sal, that a fighter gets a win and the first thing they want him to do is move up. Doesn't Raheem know that he already moved up to fight Cotto? Why should Raheem move up? I don't get it. The junior middleweight division is wide open right now. Raheem uh, Saddam Ali uh, is in a great position to take over the the, uh, junior middleweight division or at least challenge some other fighters in the junior middleweight division. Why would he want to move up? Why are fans today so quick to force a fighter to move up, Sal? Well, it it, it shouldn't be just fan-driven. We know that. And and I can respect... uh, you know, Ali's uh, 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 where he is. And you know what? He's fighting at a good weight for himself. He looked good. He looked in good shape. He looked strong. And, uh, you know, he already moved up, as you suggested. So, you know, it is it's it is what it is. Let a fighter fight where he's at his best. And, um, you know, he should figure that out. The fighter should know that. And uh, I think that uh, the same thing, you know, they're talking about Vargas moving up. And, you know, he's a tall, lanky guy. And But I'll tell you what. Vargas, if if he moves up uh, and fills out or so, I think he's going to have more trouble moving up. I think he right now he is unique at this weight class, and uh, I think he does have a lot of uh, fights ahead of him that he'll be dominant in. Uh, and if he does move up, I think he'll lose some of that translated into the pounds he'll put on, and uh, he'll be with an equal who has another pop. This guy didn't have a pop. This uh, this Negroni, yeah, he uh, and the other guy, you know, I, I think I think fighters should stay where they fight their best. That's it. Well, I personally think that what we could do in the sport of boxing is uh, is change the weigh-in process. Either have it the yes. same day or whatever, and then you wouldn't even have this discussion because there'd be certain fighters that can make weight and certain fighters won't be able to make weight. End of story. Uh, what Bingo. we're getting is. Uh, uh, a not a, a true representation of a weight class when you have a, certain guys that have a body type. I, I mean, Ray Vargas is a great example. The guy, look at the size of him. You know, he weighed 122 for the weigh-in. I, I, what, what did he weigh for the fight? You know, but uh, I don't even know how he weighs 122 ever. But that's besides. I, I think I weighed 122 my sophomore year. Uh, like I said in high school, my leg weighs about 122 pounds. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I'll tell you, I'll talk to you about that. The last uh, email I got, this is from my man Ruben, and he says, "Hey Billy C, I saw the highlights of the uh, Koto Ali fight. It looked uh, like it was competitive. I expected Koto to take Ali out, but Ali had other plans. Do you think Koto would have won if his bicep wasn't di- damaged? I can imagine the look on your face when Koto said he hurt his bicep, but." He says, but. here comes the butt, but no excuses. But. Ali won the fight. Was that bad or bad? Bad meaning good or bad meaning bad? Sorry, <laughs> I couldn't resist. You and Sal crack me up. I love your show. You guys helped me get through the day. Um, thanks nice. for the email, Ruben. Um, That's great. The fight was uh, uh, competitive, and um, you know he did mention that he hurt his bicep. But he wasn't going to make an excuse, but that was after he already mentioned. <laughs> but that's mentioned, the excuse right there. <laughs> he already mentioned. But but you know what? Koto's a warrior. He is. Um, and uh, personally, I, I, I'm not going to give him the, the, the butt here. I, I, no. You know what? Koto, in a loss, um, Koto went out not the way he wanted, but he went out on two feet. 
and um, there's nothing to be ashamed of. You know, in the when you look at Miguel Cotto's career and the style in which he fought, it's no surprise that he he aged overnight. It, it, I just hope the guy, especially based on how many times he's been down and dragged his ass up off the canvas, you know, to be a great fighter, you have to prove that you have the heart and the fortitude to do what Miguel Cotto d did many, many times. Now, I'm not saying that fighters that never, ha you know, uh, hit the canvas or, or never uh, had a uh, show that they had heart. I'm not saying that didn't exist. But it certainly is a, is a breath of fresh air when a fighter does prove that he has it. And it adds to his legacy. Plus, it adds to his own uh, persona. This is a guy that knows when he's in the heat of battle that if he gets hurt, he can come back. He's done it before. The guys that it happens to the first time, they, they question the ability. They don't know what to expect. What's your thoughts on that, Sal? Well, it's so true. I mean, you know, that's what a fighter really blossoms and, and challenges himself and says, hey, you know, I got the blinders on. I got a mission. I got my heart, my soul, my body. It's focused. I'm fighting a fight. And I know I, I, I'm going to be immune to anything that happens to me. I'm impervious to it. I just got to be driven. I got to stay to my plan and I got to do it. And that's what a real fighter does. He does not let the the, the cuts, he does not let the, 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 the thumbs, the this and that, the elbows. You go past it. You break past it. There is no pain. You don't feel the pain. You just feel the, 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 the incentive to win, to fight, your heart, you're bleeding. You, you have to uh, go forward. That's it. You know, you, you put it all out there. And that's that's how I feel about it. And that, that's the kind of fighter that Miguel Cotto is. And uh, I don't even want to say was yet because I don't know if we saw the last of him. I hope so. But I, I think we did. I yeah, think I in think his so. mind, he you know, his performance, he, he tried his best and he came up short. And he knows that, no disrespect to Saddam Ali, but he's no world no. beater. Um, you know, who else? Uh, they're only going to offer a big fight to Cotto against a guy that he may not have a chance. I mean, who knows? The money may, you know, they may make him an offer he can't refuse, Sal. Could they maybe? I, like I said, I wouldn't suggest there was even a rematch clause, but uh, I wonder if that might be. I mean, it was a close fight, and there were some rounds that could have gone either way. I clearly thought that uh, Ali did win, um, but... You know, was it close enough where Miguel Cotto feels like he could turn the tide earlier or he could have done something differently? Sometimes a fighter going through a 10, uh, 10 or 12-round fight like that learns from that fight and says, hey, this is what I got to do differently. So I, I wouldn't be too surprised if you hear over the next week or two that Miguel Cotto wants a rematch. I wouldn't be surprised. I don't think it's necessary. Miguel Cotto could stay retired and enjoy life with his family, as he suggests. But I wouldn't be too surprised if he says, hey, I want one more shot to do this. Right? Well, he, he reportedly pulled in $2 million for this fight, Saddam Ali under a million. Um, you know, as a, as a boom voyage to throw another, uh, you know, uh, whatever, when it's all said and done, taxes, expenses, you know, he throws another million in the bank. I'm talking about Cotto. Um I think he and his family can live uh, happily ever after. If you saw some uh, shots of his family, I mean, Cotto's been around a while. He's got a beautiful his, family. He's got a beautiful wife, and his kids are older. You know, some of the kids are older. Um, I think Cotto's still young enough to really enjoy his, his life with his his family, you know, and, uh, and focus on his promotional company. I just don't understand why a lot of these fighters, at the end of the day, 
don't put more focus and energy into their promotional companies. I mean, aside from just getting a piece of the promotion during their own fights, they need to ca carry it further. That's that's my argument with Floyd Mayweather right now. If Floyd Mayweather really put in the effort to to you know really build his promotional company. He could be one of the top promoters. I mean, you know, if he drops that, I'm the best uh, and never really wants to look for fight. I, I personally doesn't don't think that he would want to bring fighters in his stable that could, you know, upscale him, uh, you know, outshow him at some point or, or do more than he did. Uh, and, and I think if he was able to let that go, uh, I think Floyd Mayweather could have a, a, an extremely successful company uh, as a promotional company. Maybe Miguel Cotto is going to do that. He has been putting on uh, smaller shows in Puerto Rico, and we have seen Cotto promotions popping up. Uh, it seems like Cotto is building uh, his promotional company uh, from the ground up, and that's what you need to do, Sal. And why not? You know, it's a grassroots, and maybe, you know, right there, Hey, we know Puerto Rico's got talented, talented fighters, and why not homegrown? You know, let let them uh, find the next uh, uh, Wilfredo Benitez or the next Miguel Cotto or the next. Uh, you know, he could do that. He's got the sift in place, and he could he could uh, definitely uh, look at who we can make uh, turn into a superstar by allowing them the opportunities. Right. Exactly. Um, I got an update. Uh, we're talking about uh, heavyweight uh, update here. Uh, I mentioned uh, David Price uh, winning uh, to get a W, and, and I just have a feeling he's going to be the guy that Tyson Fury fights in his first fight back. Uh, Luis Ortiz, here was a guy that uh, Luis Ortiz was uh, um, uh, supposed to fight Deontay Wilder and then uh, all of a sudden uh, tested uh, positive for performance-enhancing drugs. WBC uh, X the bat out and then said, oh, we're looking out for his well-being, and, and Ortiz's team uh, uncharacteristically turns around and says, oh, thank you, thank you for caring about our fighter. Well, it was ruled uh, the other day that Luis Ortiz, uh, according to the WBC, can now once again compete in WBC-sanctioned events. He paid a $25,000 fine after testing positive, um, and now he's okay. Uh, the WBA said, uh, I'm sorry, WBC said the problem was that Ortiz never told Vada he was taking the medication for high blood pressure. Uh, now he will be tested based on a specifically designed protocol in the future so that they know that he's already takes, taken the high blood pressure medicine. He's been reinserted into the WBC rankings, and uh, he will uh, uh, get his chance. Um, you know, I really think that this is starting to look like, and also sprinkle in the fight uh, that uh, Deontay Wilder was supposed to fight against Povetkin, because just remember, they had the same thing. Both of those fights were made and then canceled, and then all of a sudden, the WBC clears both fighters. You know, people had said to me, oh, I think it was a scam. I think that uh, they they announced these fights. They knew that it was going to be uh, canceled, et cetera, et cetera. It's starting to seem that way. You know, um, it's starting to seem that way. I mean, how do you, you know, all of a sudden, after looking into the situation, after the fight is uh, done, now you say, you know what, you're right. You can uh, you could do that. I don't know. It does smell a little fishy to me, Sal. What do you think? 
What if it smells like a fish, bites like a fish, hooks like a fish? Uh, it's a little fishy to me too, Billy Z. Yeah, it's a, it, it is something. You know, we we only could go on what we hear, and uh, you know, there's there's other forces that are involved here, and I think that uh, those are the in between the lines kind of thing. Like Paul Harvey used to say, and now the rest of the story. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, uh, we're scheduled to have Dax Khan join us. We'll get his thoughts on uh, Miguel Cotto's uh, final fight. We'll be back in two. Billy Z will be right back. Part of the Billy Z Boxing Network. Check out BillyZBoxing.com now or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy, Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to The Billy C. Show. Uh, glad you could be with us today. Don't forget, the holiday season is here. So uh, make sure you get everybody my book for Christmas. Joining me right now, and Sal, of course, uh, to give us his thoughts on uh, Miguel Cotto's uh, final fight. And I do believe it's his final fight. Uh, a loss against Saddam Ali is uh, Dax Khan. Good morning, Dax. Good morning. How are you today? I'm doing okay. What's your thoughts on the uh, Cotto fight? Well, you know, with anticlimactic, um, you know, for some build as his last fight, you know, he's certainly a first battle Hall of Famer, but we were either expecting him to either win big or lose big, um, you know, and it kind of made makes you ask t- questions about each fighter. The first about Miguel Cotto is, was he really that uninspired uh, headed into this? Was his mind already in that um, my career is over, I'm not disappointed, and I'm not really that into this fight? And, you know, did he feel more or less that he was taking this fight due he he was obligated to the fans rather than it was a fight that he wanted? Because uh, Saddam Ali, despite being a good fighter, Miguel Cotto over a few years ago would have dispatched this kid in two or three rounds. Yeah, but, I mean, it wasn't Miguel Cotto of two or three years ago. I give him a lot of credit for... Um, fighting a younger guy. I mean, we we all. I mean, at least myself. We, well, the three of us all thought that Cotto was going to win very easily. Um, I, I know there were some people out there that that believed Saddam Ali. I, I didn't, and you know that's what happens in in boxing. I mean, fighters have a tendency to, uh, you know, age overnight, so to speak. You know, but uh, but I give Miguel Cotto a lot of credit, Dax, for. Fighting a young fighter, almost 10 years younger than him, uh, even though he wasn't uh, on our radar as a world beater, he still stepped in and challenged himself. It didn't work out for him. And I kind of think, you know, I mean, your choice of words of anticlimactic, I, I guess it's true, except from from the whole perspective, and maybe this is where I'm wrong or, or the way I'm looking at it, I look at the, the complete perspective of Miguel Cotto's career, something he's done the same from day one through Saturday night. He's challenged himself. He's fought the same style. I don't think he was loaded with talent, uh, but he his heart and determination kept him in these big fights. He made a lot of money. I don't know, man. I think that, at least in my mind, Dax, 
He goes out on his shield, and I give him a lot of credit. I, I, I believe at 37 years old, he was challenging himself. Even though we, we kind of were expecting more from Cotto, I, I think he was challenging himself. And I think at the end of the day, he's going to get a lot of respect for that fight. Um, there's, it's not a disrespect. And again, Saddam Ali's a very good fighter. Um, he's very fast. He has good footwork. He was a sensational amateur. Uh, you know, but uh, Cotto, even, and yes, no, it's not the Cotto of three years ago. It's not even the Cotto of uh, two years ago. Um, in the Kamagai fight, you know, I think that was really the uh, definitive fight to say, you know, Makoto's career is over. Even though Kamagai's a guy with an iron chin, you know, he himself was an aging, faded fighter who lost to Robert Guerrero in a one-sided fight uh, a couple years ago. A Guerrero who was a career uh, featherweight. And then Alfonso Gomez, the guy that Miguel Cotto literally just blew out in 2008. He's shell-shocked. Uh, Alfonso Gomez, a B-level fighter at his best. Um, he easily defeated Kamagai in 2015, and Cotto seemed to work hard in that fight uh, to get the win over Kamagai. So, um, you know, as far as Miguel Cotto, his career, he's always been a wrecking machine and he's always been vulnerable. Uh, those two attributes uh, combined with his tremendous heart is what makes a fighter great and what makes us love a fart fighter. He's uh, had a great career and, uh, you know, I would have liked to have seen him kind of leave after the Kamagai fight and left the champion and not on the loss. But the fact that, you know, uh, Saddam Ali is a good fighter, younger fighter, uh, went in there and put on a good performance, you know, it doesn't really take much away from what Miguel Cotto did. So, it, it was a good fight as far as Saddam Ali next. I really don't know what he's going to do next. Those other guys at 154 pounds are huge. I don't see him in there with a Charlo. I don't see him in there competing with a Jerry Hurd. I don't see him outboxing even an Eris Landy Laura, maybe back to 147 pounds. But at least this fight did put him on that radar that he wasn't on, as you mentioned before. And uh, his career is uh, kickstarted. It'd be interesting to see where he goes from here. Yeah, it's a good point. good point. I mean, those 154-pounders uh, do seem pretty big, especially the Charlo brothers and 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 Hurd, because, man, I don't know how. He, he looked like a light heavyweight or a cruiserweight. But uh, what was your thoughts on some of the the uh, commentary? I mean, we heard things like, uh, uh, A, the two guys have the same exact footwork. They look the same in the ring. And I'm sitting there watching. I'm going, what are they talking about? <laughs> I mean, I didn't see any similarities between the two styles, um, uh, b between uh, uh, Kodo and Saddam Ali, I mean, what, what's your thoughts on how biased the commentary crew was? And they were. They definitely were, Dax. Right. Yeah, you know, uh, we'll get them all at once. It's just uh, real quick, you know, uh, the Ray Vargas against Austin Negrete fight. Negrete, we knew that Vargas was going to outclass him. Uh, he is a tough guy. I'll tell you what, that guy takes punches like uh, you, you don't believe. But, um, again... The commentary was just awful, just like it was in the Kodo and Saddam Ali fight. They sat there and they would um, literally contradict themselves one after the other. Uh, you know, Vargas are talking about how he's nobody else in the division would want to fight him. And then they're saying now that uh, Guillermo Rigondeaux has exited the division, who's going to want to fight a guy like Vargas with his skill set? But on the other hand, they just got done saying how Vargas' trainer, Nacho Berenstein, steered Vargas away from wanting to fight Guillermo Rigondeaux. So you're telling me that the guy that nobody would want to fight was avoided by the guy that nobody wants to fight now, and now who's going to fight because everybody in the division is avoiding everybody? Well, you know, as far as, far as the uh, Cotto and Ali fight, I think they were a little bit more, um, more biased. They were trying to sell Saddam Ali in a lot of ways. At one point in time, they had him as, you know, one of the hardest punchers there is. Uh, you know, um, Miguel Cotto... They were trying to sell a lot of things. I think they're really trying to sell Saddam Ali like they do a lot of these opponents for these very big-name fighters that nobody knows and trying to uh, make the fight seem more interesting than what it actually is instead of just letting the fight itself be interesting enough for the fans. 
Ah, uh, yeah. No, I I agree with that. Um, uh, yeah, here here's a, here's here's a perfect one. You think about um when the cuts. You mentioned the cuts when Vargas is bleeding out of both eyes, and he goes over to the re uh the doctor, and he says he still wants to fight. Lampley says, of course he wants to fight. He's a fighter. He's not going to say he doesn't want to fight. Now I realize they fight on HBO. I don't know if Lampley has it in his contract. He can't watch fighters on HBO. Um, I let anybody know. So did he miss the entire career of the Durrell brothers up to date because they'll quit at the drop of a hat? <laughs> this is true. Um. You know, I was mentioning earlier, and for, we lost Sal for some reason. I'll try and get him back. But um, I, I <laughs> um, we, uh, uh, I, I thought that the turning point in the fight, the Kodo Saddam Ali fight, happened, and, and I can't recall what round. I'm, I'm thinking it was the eighth or ninth round. Um, Miguel Cotto landed a shot uh, on uh, Saddam Ali, and it hurt him. And normally, and you've seen this a million times like I have, a fighter will say, no, 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 didn't hurt me, didn't hurt me. You know, and we all know, oh, geez, it must have hurt him. But that's not what Saddam Ali did. Saddam Ali looked at him and gave him a nod saying, you got me there. I mean, it sent him back into the ropes. And, and, and you know, he got his, his you-know-what together. And, and I think it was the turning point in the fight, Dax, because from that point on, I saw a more aggressive Saddam Ali did you see that, or what was your thoughts on that? Well, I just, Cotto actually kind of faded. Remember, those were Cotto's best rounds, that uh, seventh and eighth were his best rounds. And then uh, come the ninth, Cotto just literally stopped punching. He ran out of gas. So I think Saddam Ali was a combination of, he was uh, recognizing that he did get caught, and he was giving Cotto the credit for it. And then, you know, he also, after missing those times that Cotto was hurting, he should have jumped on Cotto, said to himself, all right, you got me good. Now I see you're tired. So you know what? I can kind of uh, step back a little bit and I can box. Because in that 12th round, Saddam Ali really didn't do much. Yeah, no, he, he didn't. He didn't do, uh, didn't do much uh, in that at all. Um, I, I thought that – I just thought it was kind of a turning point uh, in the fight. Uh, as far as Freddie Roach, what was your thoughts on uh, – Freddie Roach's lack of instruction, at least in my opinion, lack of instruction uh, to Miguel Cota. He didn't say anything, as far as I heard. Well, we've we've talked about that in some of the last Manny Pacquiao fights as well. Uh, Freddie has been given that same criticism. But again, last week we spoke about trainers and... Once they get to a certain level of fighter, there's not really much you can tell them. Miguel Cotto's that type of guy. Uh, I had mentioned Bernard Hopkins last week where, you know, really, what are you going to really tell a guy at that stage of his career who's been where he's been and done what he's done? There's not much you can say to him that's going to change what's going on inside that ring. It's more a matter of the fighter just not being able to carry out what they already know how to do. So I think that was the situation there. And Freddie Roach, more or less, was just kind of being uh, in the corner telling Miguel, you know, get through it, keep doing what you're doing. Freddie Roach was a little bit nervous. He seen Miguel Cotto was hurt a few times from a guy that's not a big puncher, and he just wanted to make sure Miguel, if he was going to lose his last fight, don't lose again and knocked out. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I agree in terms of you're not going to teach him new things. You're not going to start saying, you know, do this, do that. But I think that he could have said, you know, avoid this. You know, maybe be another set of eyes the way a good trainer should. You know, he's coming over. He's timing you. He's trying to do this. He's trying to do that. Just bring it to his, you know, to his attention. Uh, Freddie Roach failed to do that. The, the, the most, uh, I, I mean, the only thing he said is I need a big round. At the end, he said I need a big round. I mean, that was really the only thing he said. Uh, you know, other than that, I mean, I could, I could think, I could see Miguel Cotto thinking that he's cruising in this fight. 
No, I think, you know, again, they know each other well. When people know each other that well and they work together all the time, more or less, they kind of understand what the other guy is thinking. And again, I can't stress enough at that point in stage, you know, Miguel Cotto, if he was a new champion, an upcomer or something like that, then, you know, you can give him sort of instructions. Miguel Cotto knows that he was being timed. Miguel Cotto knows that he should have cut off the ring a little more. Miguel Cotto knows you weren't going to tell him anything he didn't know. Well, he didn't do it. That was the whole thing. You know? He just I don't think he was physically able to. Yeah, he uh he he didn't uh he didn't I, I don't think he uh he did it uh in the in the right way uh in my in my opinion anyway. Um but uh but in any event. Um where do they each go from here? Well, Miguel Cota's going to retire. You know, he's He's adamant on that. He wants to retire. He wanted to retire a couple of years ago. So that's what he's going to do. He's going to enjoy time with his family. A lot of time that he missed. Uh, you know, his wife and his kids been through a lot, seeing the beatings they took in the ring. His, uh, his two sons. Uh, his one son, I remember actually seeing him at a press conference one time where Miguel Cotto, a very loving father, spent more time worrying about his son having the right game inside his Game Boy and making sure that he was uh, had his face wiped and so on while they were during the press press conference rather than him sitting there and listening to what the promoter has to say so he wants to make up for that lost time he's made money he doesn't have to fight anymore there's nothing for him left to prove and this is what he's going to do with you know we want to see this happen with guys we want to see them leave when they still have something left inside of them and they're able to take advantage of the fruits of their labor inside the ring as far as Saddam Ali again as I stated I really don't think 154 pounds is the division for him because some of those 154 pound guys are more like uh, light heavyweights are what they used to be anyway so back down to 147 pounds and if he can perform like he did on Saturday I can see him fitting well in with the mix of the top names with anybody but Errol Spence Jr. Yeah, you think he's going to do that? You think he's going to move back down? I don't see why he wouldn't. I think that would be the smart thing to do. The only reason why he would stay at 154 pounds is for one more fight to defend that title and get a nice payday. Other than that, anything else, in my opinion, would just be detrimental to his career and would totally take away from this victory because what would happen in the next loss, also the fans and media would say is he beat a faded Miguel Cotto, which meant nothing. Anybody could have done that on that point in night, and so they wouldn't capitalize on the momentum he has built. Um, one last question I have for you, Dax, uh, has nothing to do with the fights from Saturday. It has to do with the uh, WBC all of a sudden uh, okaying Luis Ortiz now. And what bothers me with this is now they say, okay, well, now since Vada knows you take high blood pressure medicine, uh, we know that when we, you get tested, it's going to be in your system. If they evaluated it and saw that he needed to take high blood pressure, you know, and there was a lot of discussion that, you know, Team Wilder knew and blah, 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 and it was kind of, you know, you hear, hear all these stories. What's your thoughts on I mean, both fights, Dax, you know, Alexander Povetkin and then, of course, Luis Ortiz, both uh, X'd out of the Deontay Wilder fight because of uh, uh, performance-enhancing drugs, only to have them both be reinstated by the WBC. I mean, it smells fishy to me. I can see the WC's point that, you know, really he wasn't taking um, uh, in performance-enhancing drugs. Uh, it was a high blood pressure medicine. Whether or not they want to uh, give a temporary suspension or a ban or something like that, and or then not, I'm fine with that due to the fact you know he he wasn't taking uh, performance-enhancing drugs. As far as the Povetkin situation in this, I don't know. You know, it's too complicated. There's too much going on. It's too soap opera-like for me. Eventually, it'll all uh, come out in the end. Um, two last things. I would say one uh, in female news. 
we know that the Claressa Shields Christina Hammer fight has been getting close, and that uh, that was going to be the next or the actual first real big uh, female mega fight. Uh, it was just announced that Christina Hammer is going to be fighting on the undercard of Claressa Shields and Tori Nelson January twelfth, and she's going to be facing. Uh, and, and she's going to be facing Lisa Garland. So, you know, that fight is just one step closer to taking place. And what do you think that's going to do for the female division? Uh, I don't have a comment on the female division, to be honest with you. I, I, I'm not crazy about... Uh, I, I think Clarissa Shields needs to fight Christina Hammer. I, that's all. Um, so when that takes place, um, you know, whatever, I... What's the other one? What's your other What's your other point? <laughs> All right, the, two last things. Uh, one, we always speak about um, how how easy it is to sell fans these days, and how these promotion companies are able to give subpar quality products, and fans are buying it because the fans they don't, don't seem to know any better. And also, you know, you see these fans that take to social media and whatever said on social media, whether it be Twitter or Facebook, or they see in some sort of uh, internet chat room, or they see in some sort of boxing form, they take as law. They, it doesn't matter who's saying it. It doesn't matter if that's a credible source on who's saying it. They take that as law. And if you should happen to disagree or should happen to try and educate them on something, they become mad. They, you know, they become... You know, they start cursing you out, calling you names, uh, they call your mother names, you know, whatever there possibly is. They become so enraged. You know, it's funny. And, you know, they don't like that term casuals. Well, on, the, on Saturday night, I came across one of these guys um, after he gave his top 10 list, uh, his top 10 greatest Puerto Ricans fighters of all time list and he didn't like the fact that i disagreed with it uh, this is a fellow by the name of el yogi 200 i'm going to give you this list we'll start from the bottom to the top after that you and sal comes back on you and sal can discuss this and tell me um if this list is a good list it's a bad list and you know what should we adjust in this list and certainly what's wrong with this list uh, starting uh from number 10 jesus rojas number nine edwin rosario number eight esteban de jesus number seven samuel serrano number six carlos ortiz number five miguel Cotto. number four Evangelista Cotto, number three, Ivan Calderon, number two, Danny Garcia, and number one, one of my favorite fighters, I don't know if he's an all-time great fighter, though, but one of my favorite fighters, Orlando Siri Salido. This is his top ten list of greatest Puerto Rican fighters of all time. I see. Well, we uh, we can discuss that at some other time. Uh, maybe not today, though, but uh, I'm glad that Ivan Calderon was on that list. Uh, clearly uh, a great uh, Puerto Rican fighter, but there seem to be several missing. But uh, uh, And there and seem to be several on there that aren't even Puerto Rican. <laughs> uh, Which is the point on, you know, this is why, with this mindset, this is why it's so easily to uh, sell fans to subpar product these days. And my last comment of the day is, uh, 27-year-old uh, former featherweight Daniel Twitch Franco underwent uh, his second brain surgery Friday to have a plate be grafted into his skull. Um, that was due to the injuries he suffered in June 10th against his bout against Jose Harrow, who's been uh, very supportive and uh, in contact with the family continuously uh, to see, you know, the progress of Daniel Twitch Franco. Uh, the surgery was a success, but you know what? It's also now been 177 days without a call from Rock Nation, his former promoter, even to see, you know, how was he doing? How's the progress? We hope he's doing well. So, you know what, Rock Nation, you're, you're trash. You should be ashamed of yourself. You can't even check on one of your former fighters to see how you're, they're doing, and I can't wait to your rid of the sport. I'm glad everybody left you. I'm glad. I think that they are uh, done. But uh, Dax, appreciate the time, and we we'll look forward to you later in the week, my man. All right. Enjoy your day. That's Dax Khan. You can check out his uh, column up on BillyCBoxing.com. Uh, and, um, 
You know, uh, speaking of uh, speaking of the show, uh, I wanted to uh, make sure everybody knows that uh, we we have a uh, programming note. Um, we're in our holiday uh, broadcast schedule right now, uh, and um, uh, right now uh, we will not uh, be doing a uh, live show on uh, Thursday. Um, but uh, uh, we will uh, we are scheduled to be here uh, the rest of uh, the week. But uh, we got. Uh, uh, Sal uh, back with us Sal I, I uh, appreciate you uh, coming back here but uh, uh, in any event are you you working all right oh uh, yeah okay. I, uh, right. well no I, I, I mean guys, I, I, I wasn't sure it was on well, your no, end I'll or talk mine. to you about that after the show we will discuss that after the show but uh, uh, anyway because we are you know in case you don't know we are live right now so uh, uh, it is what it is um, I don't know if uh, you heard uh, uh, Dax's uh, uh, comments uh, about uh, uh, great Puerto Rican fighters, but when you think of great Puerto Rican fighters, aside from Miguel Cotto, who comes to your mind? Well, of course, two that come to my mind would be uh, Wilfredo Benitez and Esteban de Jesus. Yeah, Esteban. De those Jesus. are the first two, but there are there are several others that do. Yeah, um, uh, it's a, they're more it's my a, contemporaries. It's a it's a decent. Uh, uh, it's a decent topic, uh, and Dax's point was that uh, he had given us a, a, a list. I, I didn't write them all down, but he gave us a list that contained some fighters that weren't Puerto Rican. <laughs> so uh, that was <laughs> that was his whole uh, uh, point. Sal, uh, before I take a break, um, do you have any final thoughts on uh, Miguel Cotto and his career, and um, assuming that he does indeed uh, stay retired, which I I, I kind of have a feeling. I was saying I know Friday that I didn't think this was going to be his last fight, but uh, but I do think it will be. Um, I think that financially he's secure. I, I, I unless they offer him so much money like they did to Boom Boom Mancini, uh, I, I think he's retired for good. What's your thoughts on on his career and the contribution that uh, Miguel Cotto made to the sport of boxing? I think if we look at his career, I mean, he had spanned. I mean, what was his professional debut? He's been fighting for what, fifteen years? Uh, the guy, the guy, is a warrior. He's always, he's always given his one hundred percent. He's always risen to the occasion. You cannot expect a human being to to who's passionate about his craft, and I use that term because that's what it showed in his his exhilaration and his passion and his desire to win. And he was a warrior. He fought anybody anywhere. He didn't care. He just wanted to be the fight, to, the fighter to be tested and to come out and do what he can do to be the victor. victor. And uh, you can't say anything else but praise this guy for this kind of passion, this kind of heart, and to hone in on his craft the way he did. And I hope he does stay retired. I hope he does go on to live a good, healthy uh, life and enjoys his later years because uh, he's got he still has a long, long life ahead of him. And I hope he enjoys his family. So uh, he contributed so much to the world of boxing and to the lighter weights, too. I mean, this guy was always, as you said, Bill, he was an exciting fighter. You knew when you were going to see a Miguel Cotto fight that there was going to be excitement. You were going to be looking at that tube. You were going to be looking ringside, and you were going to enjoy and come away satisfied because he gave it his all. And um, I think that uh, he will be probably a first ballot Hall of Famer, 
and uh, first round, and I think that uh, he deservingly does uh, need to be up there. He's uh, he's going to be a legend one day, and uh, people of Puerto Rico could always be proud. People of fight fans could always be proud. This guy was a warrior, and I hope he enjoys his second stage of his life because he can go on and do things and be productive in so many areas now because he is a leader, he's a champion, and he'll always be a champion. Um, You know, the one thing that I, I agree with everything you said, um, Warrior um, always gave it his all. Uh, the one thing, and I and I, you know, I don't I don't want to be a hypocrite, so I am going to sprinkle in uh, some things that I've said about Miguel Cotto uh, over the last couple of years, uh, or actually one specific thing, and that is he became a bit of a diva, um, you know, demanding, uh, you know. Um, things in, in negotiations and stuff and um you know in hindsight uh, maybe maybe he deserved it and uh you know maybe uh, uh maybe uh, you know me being a little too critical uh, of miguel Cotto, you know it's easy to uh say those things during a, a, a fighter's career at least for me um but uh you know when a fighter ends his career the career starts to be put in perspective and although I, I like to give a fighter a full five years before I could, you know, really evaluate and give an opinion on uh, their overall career, Miguel Cotto is one of these types of fighters that, you know, assuming that his career is indeed over, you can start appreciating what he gave to the sport. And that's an important uh, part of, of my thought is he gave something back to the sport of boxing. It was a two-way street for Miguel Cotto. One way was for him to accomplish what he did in the ring uh, in terms of championships, performances, and, of course, uh, money. And then the other thing is what he gave back to the sport of boxing. And what Miguel Cotto seemed to have given back is a hell of a lot of excitement, a career that's going to be etched in stone in the Hall of Fame, and a guy that whether you liked him or not, you had to appreciate watching a Miguel Cotto fight. This is something that only great fighters can do, and not to compare him with other fighters, but there's a lot of fighters out there that claim they're great, and I think when you put their careers in perspective, you're not going to say that they brought as much to the sport as Miguel Cotto did. Miguel Cotto brought a lot to this sport just by being Miguel Cotto. And that's something that has value beyond comprehension uh, from you know ordinary fighters or, or even exceptional fighters that don't return the favor that the sport does for them. In other words, uh, Miguel Cotto made a ton of money. Um, he uh, uh, accomplished a lot of things in terms of... Um, you know, world titles, the first Puerto Rican fighter to win uh, four world titles in different divisions. Uh, but he also uh, gave something back. And I think that that has a lot of value. We're going to take a short break. When I come back, we're going to talk a little boxing. How about that? Imagine that. Billy C will be right back. Part of the Billy C Boxing Network. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now. Or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. 
consider this your warning. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C. Show. Hey, programming note, uh, we will, we're will. we in the holiday season. And um, like I told you, there are going to be some... Uh, uh, some days now between now and the end of the year that we got to juggle around uh, uh, for different obligations. And uh, again, uh, this week we will not be doing a live show on Thursday, uh, but we are scheduled to do live shows every other day. Now, unless there's some kind of a technical issue or whatever, you can plan on uh, having us uh, every day, but except for Thursday. But, uh, um, hey, Sal, we've had a, a, a trivia question uh, that I am recycling. I am not going to. I am not going to uh, ask it again. It is a tough one, and I am going to bring it back. Um, and you know, uh, I'm just leaving it at that. I got a new one. Uh, this one is. Uh, it's. Let's see. Which one am I doing here? Um, okay. Uh, the The question is: I captured my first world title. On my first try, but once I lost it, it took me almost 12 years and five world title attempts before I would win another world title. Who am I? You have any ideas? Bobby Chacon. No. No, but that's a good one. But uh, So if you're the first one to email me the correct answer to this, Billy at Talkin' Boxing. That's T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G.com. You'll win your very own copy of the Title Bout Championship computer game. Now, I am going to give you a hint. This is a question that we asked once before, um, and uh, we gave out the answer, so I'm not going to tell you when, uh, but uh, it was uh, at least two years ago. But uh, in any event, I captured my first world title on my first try. But once I lost it, it took almost 12 years and five world title attempts before I would win another world title. Who am I? If you're the first one to answer this question correctly by emailing me, Billy at Talkin' Boxing, that's T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G.com, you'll win your very own copy of the Title Bout Championship computer game. Good luck to everybody on that. On this day... In boxing history, December fourth. Can you believe? Can you believe we're already in, no. in in December? I mean, this is the fastest year that has ever gone by. And and I know they say the older you get, the faster the time goes by. But even people that are young, 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 tell me the same thing that man, this year went by quick. But this year, oh my goodness, it uh, it flew by. But uh, anyway, it's almost playoff time for the playoffs. It's almost playoff time for the NFL. It's Christmas and New Year's. I know. I know. On this day, December 4th in 1993, Kevin Kelly wins a 12-round decision over Goyo Vargas to win the featherweight title uh, in uh, Reno, Nevada. That would be the WBC's version of the featherweight title. On this day in 1993, Eloy Rojas wins a 12-round decision over Kun Young Park to win the WBA featherweight title to place in South Korea. On this day in 1983, Bobby Berna knocks out Song In Su uh, in the 10th round to win the newly created IBF junior featherweight title, and that took place in Seoul, Korea. 
On this day in 1998, Manny Pacquiao knocks out Chat Chai Dutch Boy Jim uh, in the eighth round to win the WBC flyweight title in Thailand. Uh, we all know Manny Pacquiao would go on to win eight world titles in different flyweights. Wow. Uh, unbelievable. Uh, in this day, on this day, I'm sorry, on this day, December 4th in 1965, Flash Elorde wins a 15-round decision over Kang Tu Su uh, to uh, retain his WBC and WBA World Super Featherweight titles, and that took place in the Philippines. And finally, on this day, December 4th in 1961, Floyd Patterson knocks out Tom McNeely in the fourth round to retain his world heavyweight title, and that took place in Toronto. Uh, Patterson improves to 38-2, and two, and McNeely suffers the first loss of his career as he drops to 23 wins and one loss. And that's what took place on this day, December 4th, in boxing history. Hey, man, don't forget, make sure you tune in tomorrow morning same bat time, same bat channel. Until then, I'll leave you with this. Ciao, baby.